A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Century Fox would like you to meet the Furpo family. Dave. Once released from this prison, I, much like my reptilian brother, the pterodactyl, shall fly high above my problems. Alvin. Excuse me. Well, the sign says take a pen, not take all the pens. <laughs> Bill. Look at that abandoned car. <laughs> It's my car. Oh. Their ma. Beautiful dream. Hey, Edna, I always like to ride your trunk of the car. Edna, Edna, are we sleeping together? I think not. One big temptation. Forget it. Forget what? There's no money in the vault. Then what have we here? $275,000. One brilliant plan. This is a robbery! Hey, who's got the key? Raise your hand! Do you boys really want to do this? Absolutely! But on Christmas Eve, it doesn't seem right. One huge mistake. I just did what the map said. I made four lefts. Four lefts? As I start going, you idiot! Welcome to another episode of Rewatchability. It's the show where we take a look at movies we haven't seen in quite a while and see how they hold up today under the weight of our modern perspective. I'm J.M. McNabb. I'm joined, as always, by... Robert Larone. And Blaine Waters is not here today. He's, uh, I don't know where he is. He's busy. He has a very busy personal life, despite the fact that we're all in lockdown. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little bit suspicious. <laughs> yeah. I'm starting he... to think that he's part of the problem. <laughs> he's opening he's up barbecue restaurants. Barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For those who don't live in Toronto, there was a, uh, a barbecue restaurant that defied lockdown orders and became the epicenter of the uh, anti-mask uh, movement. And even like there were like pro-Trump people with like Trump 2020 flags uh. there. It's like, what? It's not even it, – the election's over and it wasn't in this country. <laughs> like what are you guys doing? <laughs> I've, I just feel so upset that we're politicizing meats. Is there nothing sacred? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and also, you could literally eat it anywhere else. And it was this dirty little place. Like, no one wants to go sit in there anyway. Like, just oh, go yeah. sit in your car and eat the meat. It's fine. Anyway, let's not get into that. One more thing. I did find it funny that people were referring to the protesters as BBQ Anon. That's, I mean, that's perfect. The whole it's thing's perfect. almost worth it for that. But we're back with another episode. Like I said, it is a holiday-themed episode. We're officially mm -hmm. into the swing of things. We're doing our holiday movies. <laughs> we're doing the, the classic Christmas story, Trapped mm -hmm. in Paradise, starring Nicolas Cage, John Lovitz, and Dana Carvey. Oh, wait, and wait. Sorry, I... I watched the Gene Simmons Family Jewels episode, Trapped in Paradise. Oh, no. <laughs> I got confused. I, it was the first thing that came up on IMDb. I don't know. Oh, was it really? That It came up before this movie? <laughs> well, maybe it was the second thing, but uh, I don't know. That would be so sad for this movie if that was the case. <laughs> <laughs> it it is the same. You know, not a classic, but it is a Christmas movie, and we'll get into it uh, in a moment. But before that, I do want to thank all of our Patreon subscribers. Those are the mm -hmm. people who donate a few bucks to help keep the show going. We really appreciate it, and we'll have some uh, bonus content uh, later this month for you all to enjoy. You can find that at patreon.com slash rewatchability. And I do want to say that we're an Entertainment One podcast and part of their podcast network. Okay, now that that's all out of the way, let's talk about Trapped in Paradise. I suggested this movie partly because Blaine's not here and he couldn't put the kibosh on it. Uh, <laughs> but I wasn't really... <laughs> It's it, the election seems so long ago, and it was around the time of the election when we did National Treasure. So I had kind of mm -hmm. forgotten that we were, you know, we did a Nicolas Cage movie a few weeks ago. 
I, I wasn't even thinking about that when I suggested this. So I apologize if it's if it's more cage than people are accustomed right. to. Uh, but you can't get too much cage, right? Well, I mean, you can. I mean, I think moderate doses are recommended, but I don't think that we're going over the recommended dose. And I also think in defense of this movie, this is a different era, Nicolas Cage. Yes. Like, this is Nicolas Cage. Where can he fit in Hollywood? Maybe he will do <laughs> like dramatic things where he's a guy drinking himself to death, or maybe he will be in a stupid Christmas comedy. Who knows? <laughs> he could be anywhere. But yeah. he wasn't like crazy yet. He was just, you know, he was just there. Yeah, like he he was definitely in a few sort of like yeah, just kind of like comedy, dramedies, Hollywood movies where he was expected to be a normal human being and mm-hmm. would just occasionally have that mania pop up. Yeah, there are shades of it. And we'll talk about them, I think. Yeah. I and I think it was last year that we talked about the family man. Mm-hmm. So I thought it would be nice to come back and talk about what I think is the only other Nicolas Cage Christmas movie. Right. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's just the two. There should be more. I mean, it should be an entire genre. I want to see Nicolas Cage as Santa Claus in like a Santa Claus role. Like I know there's this like mm. fucking Mel Gibson thing where Mel Gibson Santa Claus. Is that right? I don't want to yeah, see that. No. I want to see Nicolas Cage as Santa Claus kicking ass. He's my Claus. I would. You know? I would also watch that. And he's not, uh, from what I can tell, a hate filled monster. <laughs> <laughs> no. 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 Just, uh, you know, just uh, an off-the-rails human being, you know. Yeah, uh, eccentric. Uh, yeah, you know what, ways you know, that we can appreciate at the holidays. You know what I'd like to see? Because remember, he did the uh, slightly higher-budget remake of Left Behind. Right. I would like to see him remake all of the Kirk Cameron movies, including Saving Christmas. Oh, wow. That's what I want to see. I mean, there aren't that many other Kirk Cameron movies that I can think of, but yeah, I could see the Saving Christmas uh, Nicolas Cage remake. I'm, I'm, I'm for it. So, Trapped in Paradise, 1994 comedy, written and directed by George Gallo, uh, mm-hmm. who uh, is a guy who is still making movies. I guess his most famous work is he wrote Midnight Run, right, and was behind, I think, the Midnight Run franchise. Yeah, which I didn't even really realize was a franchise until now. I didn't know it was a franchise, but I, I find it hilarious. Obviously, Robert De Niro doesn't show up for the second and third one. I don't know why, but Chris McDonald, he's game. Yeah, they got Shooter McGavin to step in instead of uh, <laughs> Robert De Niro. But yeah, they did like some TV movies or something. Uh, fun movie. I'd actually never seen Midnight Run until this summer. Oh, it was a good movie. He just wrote it. He didn't direct it. Okay, but Trapped in Paradise, 1994. Did you see it when you were a kid? I don't know for sure, but I feel like I did. Like I, It feels like the sort of movie that I saw. And I have, I think, memories of bits of it. Like I would have watched it probably on the movie network or something like that. It was definitely on TV. But I don't remember. I don't have any strong memories of it. <laughs> if I did see it, there is nothing memorable enough in this movie, I think, that it would stick with me, you know, amidst, like, the other sort of Christmas movies. Because it's sort of, like, it's a very generic sort of Christmas movie. I mean, it does come from a different angle because it's a, it has, like, a crime plot to it. Mm-hmm. And there are the bumbling sort of brothers and everything like that. But... It has, like, the sort of generic Christmas music. It starts with a long, slow shot on, like, an ornament. It's very... It blends in with everything else in the season. It doesn't feel so far off. So I think I saw parts of it. I'm not entirely sure, but I I was looking forward to seeing it so that I would find out for sure. And also, like... These stars of this movie are people that I have loved throughout my life. Like, mm-hmm. John Lovitz, he's great. I'm a big John Lovitz fan. Dana Carvey, Garth, come on. I mean, <laughs> not to mention Church Lady. Mm. I mean, so many, and George W., I mean, George H.W. Bush, Thousand yeah. Points of Like. I mean, so many good bits. And all of them in this sort of like, you know, Holiday Three Amigos, it seemed like Mm. it could be a recipe for hilarity. 
What about you, JM? Well, I saw this movie opening day in the theaters. Wow. But, I mean, you see a lot of things opening day in the theaters. That's true. I saw a lot of dumb movies opening day. I think I saw Eddie with Whoopi Goldberg opening day in the theaters. Oh, wow. I I just saw every movie I could back when I had even a modicum of free time. But this movie was of particular note because I don't know if you know this, Rob. I think maybe I've told you this before, but my dad was an extra in this movie. Right. I do remember you saying that. Yes. So I went to go see it with my friend to see if we could see my dad in the movie. And And did you? Yes. Yeah, you can see him. Uh, Oh, my God. Where is he? I mean, I I admittedly, I tried to keep an eye out, but... Did you? Uh, I should have told you before you started watching Where Is He? Because, I mean, you don't know exactly what he looked like when he was young. This was like 24 years ago. Yeah, this was a while ago. Here, I'm going to send you a picture. Okay. Okay. I'm texting you a picture. So he's he's the one that's not John Lovitz in this picture. <laughs> that's going to be confusing. He's one of the uh uh one of the guys in the bank that they rob. I think like they Oh my god. Yeah, that's him. Wow. Your dad uh, looks handsome. Yeah, he was he was like a, a handsome uh well he was you know he was a musician. So right. the reason why he was an extra Where'd he get was that because suit? I think that was his suit. Wow. And I th- I think him and his musician friends had a friend who did movies, so they he would give them extra work kind of between gigs as right. a way to make extra money. <laughs> Literally extra money. But yeah, so he went down to uh, Niagara on the Lake where they shot that scene and uh, was in part of the movie and you can see him. So I remember going to see it. I remember being very excited that he was going to do that, not because of Nicolas Cage, but because of John Lovitz and Dana Carvey, who were <laughs> yeah. he- especially Dana Carvey, who was unfortunately not in the scene, who he, di- he didn't get to uh, interact with at all. Wow. But Dana Carvey, you know, was huge for me and, and all the kids my age because of Wayne's World. So yeah, so I remember going to see it, thinking it was cool that you could see my dad in it. That is cool. Yeah. And I think we bought a copy of it on VHS. Like, they had a used one at the video store, and we bought it because you can see my dad in the background. <laughs> so I probably watched it, like, once or twice uh, at Christmas time over the years. Never thought it was great. Never thought it was terrible. It was just a movie that existed. And my dad's there in the background. I'll, I'll tweet out that picture or something so people can... <laughs> See what my dad looked like 25 years ago. He looks like a banker. Like, yeah. He does. I want to know if he can loan me money. (laughs) He has no money now. (laughs) Yeah, he does not look like a banker anymore. He has a giant, crazy beard. And also, yeah, I think they he said they gave him like a clipboard to hold up during the scene and told him he was like the bank manager or something. So that's pretty exciting. Wow. yeah. So does that pepper your your feelings of the movie? Do you feel like you're biased in some way? Like, can you even look at this objectively? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Very, very much so, uh, as we'll discuss. Uh, but maybe let's get into the plot of the movie, because some of the people listening right. may not be as familiar with it. What, what happens in this movie, Rob? Okay, well, it starts with Nicolas Cage... He is in the subway. I think he's at the northwest entrance of Bay Dundas Station, and he finds. No, I think a it's wallet. actually St. Andrews Station. Oh, which is I a mean, station you should know well. Yeah, they changed the handrail colors. <laughs> but he finds a wallet with like eight hundred dollars in it, and he's sort of torn up about what to do. Like, does he? Take the money or, you know, uh, is there, do you turn it in? I mean, what do you do in this situation? What do you do, JM? I, I, it wasn't up to me. (laughs) I mean, I, yeah, I would, I, at Christmas time, no, you don't take the money. I mean, not at Christmas time. No. Anytime Uh, in the new year, that's fine. Yeah. Like March, April, take the money. Take it. That's a, that's a spring gift. That's the gift of the spring thaw. I would, you know, I would, like, look up the guy's address, follow him to his house, find out what he does for a living. If it turns out he, like, you know, works for some terrible oil company or something and is 
you know, covering up uh, spills and polluting the earth. Take the money and, you know, yeah, do something good. Take the money and give it to a needy cause. Oh, yeah. That, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Or, like, give half to a needy cause. Yeah. Or buy yourself something nice. Or drugs. Yeah. Drugs. <laughs> but he he's torn up what, about what to do, and he eventually does the right thing, and he ends up going to confession to, you know, cleanse his soul, and he tells his story to the priest, who sounds a lot like Wallace Shawn, though it isn't. Yeah. It's very weird. It's a very distinct voice. But uh, he tells him that... His brothers, who have been incarcerated in prison, are going to be released because they're releasing a whole bunch of prisoners because of overcrowding. So he goes to pick up his brothers. And these are the Furpo brothers. That's their last name. I don't know if that's like a real last name or it doesn't sound real. I think that's Oprah's uh, production company. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a weird name. Yeah, and their what their names are like Alvin, Simon, and Theodore. Maybe no, it's well one's Alvin and one's Dave, which is also a chipmunk right. adjacent name. Right. Yeah, it's Bill, Dave, and Alvin. So Bill is Nicolas Cage, Dave is John Lovitz, and Alvin is the Dana Carvey character. And they're just getting paroled. And even though John Lovitz gives this like crazy story about a pterodactyl. They get set free. <laughs> I'm laughing already. It's pretty funny. I I love all of John Lovitz's bits in in this movie. Like I love when he's robbing the bank later and he's like doing the yoga. That's it's hilarious. He's just like he's yeah. great at like commenting on things while other things are happening. For those of you just joining us, keep your hands up. We were doing a little yoga earlier. I see there's some people still shaking. Let's breathe in. Anybody have to go to the bathroom? Raise your hand. Stop! We'll be done very shortly. This is something you'll be able to take home with you after the problem. A little exercise, which it looks like some of you could use, all right? So, let's breathe in. Keep breath in, good, hold it, and let it out. Good. Yeah, he has. He's also like his his like facial work in this movie is really good. He's he does that thing where he, you know he can go from like a frown to a smile immediately. He's kind of like the bullshit artist of the brothers. Right. He's a compulsive liar, whereas Dana Carvey's character is a kleptomaniac, and then Nicolas Cage's character is like he's also kind of a sketchy, probably a a former criminal who's trying to. Yeah, like we saw earlier, do the right thing and say stay on a, a traditional non-criminal trajectory in the restaurant business. He's uh, managing some shitty restaurant now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, the brothers, they say they have this favor to do for one of their friends who is inside. And they want to go down to this place in Pennsylvania called Paradise to pick up this guy's daughter and bring him back so that he will be able to see her for Christmas. So it's sort of like a nice thing. You know, you want to be able to do those things, and families should be together at the holidays, though not this holiday. But Nicolas Cage isn't having any of it, you know. He throws the letter out the window, though John Lovett says he has another copy. And it seems like it's not going to happen, except that Alvin, Dana Carvey, he does what Alvin does. He, He just starts taking cash from an unattended cash register and mm-hmm. it's a big fracas and they have to sort of go on the run and they end up sort of like fleeing the state and later Nicolas Cage finds out that his wallet was left behind and so the cops are on to them and they're going to be in big trouble so they might as well go do this thing in Paradise Pennsylvania huh right that's the ticket <laughs> Yeah, they should have just had more repeating of catchphrases <laughs> from SNL. Uh, we, I, I, I do want to quickly mention Dana Carvey's uh, big choice. Yes, uh, in, in terms of his character, he, for some reason, decided to play his character as as if he was young Mickey Rourke. Yeah, uh, it's a choice. Yeah, it's possibly like. 
you texted me last night and you we we talked about maybe watching something else because we talked about a Nicolas Cage movie a couple weeks ago and and something yeah. about this movie it didn't seem like it was working and after seeing this I suspect it's 100% Dana Carvey that part oh, is really? like I mean not 100% there are some other things but <laughs> it's 90 it's a big part that because uh, it's 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 terrible. It's so annoying. It's like I mean, it's a typical sort of Dana Carvey thing. Like I feel like I've come to this realization as an adult who once like liked this guy and once like looked up to him is that like a lot of his characters are bad and they're overly mm. broad and they're okay for like five minutes, but they don't really sustain themselves for like feature film length. Look at Master of yeah. Disguise. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. There, that's why there's no chopping broccoli. The movie, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think I agree. Though I know you guys did it on the show without me, but I do remember liking Clean Slate. Yeah, like I yeah. I think Dana Carvey c- can be like that guy who who you want to watch for a whole movie, but not necessarily if he's doing such a broad character, which he is here. I mean, and also just, it didn't seem like anything organic to the story. It felt like, like it reminded me when I was in high school and I was in a school play with a future Emmy winner who will remain nameless. I remember that like, it was like the week of the show or something. And like, we were all feeling like my character wasn't quite working. And then someone was like, why don't you just do an accent? Oh, no. And so, like, I almost did, like, this broad, like, Lucky Charms-esque Irish accent for no reason other than the fact that, like, we were all kind of bored with what I was doing. And that's what this felt like. I think that's what James Cromwell did in L.A. Uh, Confidential last week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but, like, that's what this felt like. That's what, like, the, it felt like they all kind of got there realized that they had this kind of limp, unexciting script, and either the creative team or just Dana Carvey was like, fuck it, I'm going to do Mickey Rourke for this whole movie just so I'm not bored to tears by this job. Yeah. Excuse me. Those are for the children. And you know, the sign says take a pen, not take all the pens. Can I have them back? The pen, it said take... Oh, it's one of the... All, of, all of them. Give them up. It's a... It's a... Are you all right? Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. And it's like, if he was able to fall into a Mickey Rourke impression that felt natural then that would be one thing. Right. But this is like a cartoon impression. It's like a weird sort of scrunched up face. Its voice is intentionally only using like the higher register. It's mm-hmm. it's so off-putting to, to, to watch. The other thing that's off-putting is the liberal use in the first part of the movie of the R word. Yeah. Yeah, they say it a couple of times. I mean, there's one point where they call Dana Carvey that. And then there's another point where they finally get into Paradise Falls. Or it's not Falls. It's just regular Paradise. But they should consider adding a Falls to the name, even if there's no Falls there. It doesn't really matter. You can just do whatever. But he almost runs into this horse cop, this cop atop a horse. And oh, that was I thought you meant <laughs> half man, half horse. <laughs> it's tricky, no, but yeah, no, it's a police officer riding a horse. We have them in Toronto, they crap in the bike lanes, it's it's awful, but not the worst thing that cops do. Uh, <laughs> so I feel bad complaining, but they call this guy a R word. And do you know who that actor is? No, tell me. It's the guy from Silence of the Lambs who is, I think he's like, you know, the bug guy. And then he creepily asks out Clarice Starling. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I also feel bad that he gets put in these, like, roles because he looks, like, a little bit not conventional. It seems like maybe his eye is, like, looking one direction or something. It's, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But um, they get to this town, Paradise, and... 
they are. Lo- I heard that town's not there, and they replaced it with a parking lot. <laughs> right? Yeah. But check out the tree museum. Hold on. Hold on. Just pause for a minute because everyone listening to this is just laughing so hard right now at that killer joke. I like a good Jody Mitchell joke. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Not enough Jody Mitchell jokes in this podcast. <laughs> They're like a river that I can skate away on. I, I don't know. <laughs> but. They go to check out this bank, and it's sort of crazy. Like, this bank that this Sarah person works at, there's no security cameras. The guard is sleeping on the job. He might be drunk or something like that. It just seems like it just seems like it's asking to be robbed, man. Like, you mm-hmm. ever just go into, like, a bank, and you're like, I should fucking rob this place. It's like, no, Rob, <laughs> I don't think that's the thing you should be saying. Oh, Oh, uh, well, that's what happens in this movie, and uh, <laughs> I don't know. I find it relatable. But uh, Nicolas Cage is really having a hard time. Like He's like, you know, oh, man, like if I had some guns, I would just go and pop that place. And then John Lovitz is like, well, it just so happens that uh, we have some guns in the back. And so... They decide to do it. They just sort of roll with it. They get a whole bunch of, like, new gear from this, like, outfitter shop, and then they go and rob the bank and hold up your dear old dad. Hmm? Oh, my dear old dad. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) My fictional counterpart, yeah, was traumatized. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so he's, he's in the bank. He's maybe the bank manager or something. And he's working. His coworker is uh, Machen Amick, who we should mention. Right, from, from uh, uh, Twin Peaks. Shelly. From Twin Peaks. Shelly from Twin Peaks. Uh, I love her. Yeah. She she's has this, like, I mean, I think she's one of the most beautiful people that's ever existed. But they give her this terrible, terrible, like, I'm sure this was like a studio thing or a director thing. They give her like this, like, bland mom haircut because mm-hmm. like on Twin Peaks and in real life she has this like really you know big voluminous hair and then here she's got this weird haircut she's kind of a killjoy she's supposed to have romantic chemistry with Nicolas Cage yeah and it's uh it is not happening I mean does Nicolas Cage ever have romantic chemistry with anybody except Nicolas Cage I I do just... dinosaur skulls count? <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> yeah, I just, like, he's sort of, like, asexual. Like, I don't think that mm. he is, I don't think that he has sexual chemistry. I mean, I have seen his, like, you know, divorce video. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. So I know that he's definitely been married a couple times, but he's just not, like, a sexual being to me. Yeah, but you can have, like, I remember, I don't know if this is, like, chemistry per se, but, like, I remember the first part of Mandy, like, him and his wife have, like, this intimacy and, like, okay. they gel together. I don't know. I think it's possible. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, but in in this movie, it doesn't work. I think part of it's the writing, too. Like, it, we'll, we'll talk about it more as it happens. But they rob the bank. Yeah. It's this whole deal because then they have to go across the street to the diner where the the bank owner has the key to the vault. Oh, yeah. And they have to bring everyone from the diner over back to the bank so they won't call the cops. I like that. It was funny. It was funny. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. But then Dana Carvey screws up with the getaway car. They do eventually get away, but they get sort of driven off the road and the car flips over. So they are like fucked. Except... Somebody helps them, brings them to their house where they can stay the night. And it's Christmas Eve, so they can have a good Christmas dinner. And it just so happens that the house that they bring them to is the bank president's house. Mm. Which, uh, awkward, awkward. Because uh, they just robbed the bank. So, you know, it's like... uh... You know, <laughs> like these three, <laughs> these three strangers from out of town who arrived the same day three strangers robbed the bank. Let's look after them. Let's give them sweaters and feed them. And and no one like they don't they honestly don't put it together. No. Well, they're too kind and good hearted. These small town folks. Yeah. But other characters oddly do like Machen Amick seems to just like figure it out. 
from, <laughs> from yeah. just from common sense. <laughs> and the other people that like they're also terrible criminals because they buy their disguises, their ski masks and sunglasses for the bank robbery at the like general store or sporting goods store across the street from the bank. Exactly. So. Th- the guys who run the sporting goods store, who are also like deputies or sheriff's deputies, immediately figure out who they are and and plot to steal the money from them. So it's just terrible planning all around. Everyone kind of knows that they're the guys except for this poor gullible bank president and his family. I mean, I I can kind of see what they're going – like I feel like this movie wants to be very old-fashioned. Yeah. It wants to be like a Capra kind of uh, a movie. Well, the bank manager's sort of like, it's a wonderful life. Yeah, except he's not evil. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he – the bank is having trouble yeah. because they help the townspeople. And the only reason why they have all that money in there that gets robbed in the first place is because he's convinced everybody to do like a little savings fund for Christmas – yeah. It's uh, charming. And he's just, he has no insurance or something? Yeah, that just seems, like, stupid. I mean, sorry, buddy. Yeah, because there's a part where, like, they're all having dinner, and, <laughs> and these three strangers are defending the bank robbers for some reason. But they're saying, like, <laughs> oh, like, they're all insured, and, like, it's a victimless crime. And he basically said, like, no, like, this is going to put us out of business. Yeah. And then they get sad. But then, they, yeah, they just you – know, I don't think we have to go into all the various ways – they try to escape but like the no. whole thing is they can't get out of this town planes trains automobiles <laughs> i mean in in the poster for the movie they're all trapped in a snow globe that doesn't happen but there are <laughs> other ways that's a metaphor for the other ways that they can't escape this town i mean i i, I and again like once we get into it i i do like the premise like i a movie that I've wanted to do on the show for a while that I quite enjoy is uh, Quick Change, the right. Bill Murray movie uh, <laughs> featuring uh, presidential advisor Randy Quaid as well. <laughs> what? I didn't – wait, what? Uh, yeah, well, I'll tell you later. But that is a very similar premise where it's these guys – this trio, uh, them and, and Gina Davis, rob uh, a bank and successfully and pull off this brilliant heist, but then they can't get to the airport and get on their plane and escape. They, it's you know right. a series of unfortunate right. events that prevents them. So it's kind of the similar thing, but with Christmas and with this you know wholesome small town where all these kind people who they robbed keep saving them, right? Which I like. But it's just that all of the ingredients are so uh, kind of annoying, like mm-hmm. like Dana Carvey, like all of these characters. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think like the big thing is like there's no like big like thematic or like moral sort of issue. Like Nicolas Cage is like kind of trying to be a good person, but he isn't very good at it and that's sort of like it like he doesn't come to like a big realization or anything and there's nothing that like his connection quote unquote to matching Amec gives him it doesn't change him in in any way he just decides yeah like maybe i shouldn't be a bad person it's like maybe being bad is bad <laughs> well there's also like there's this whole scene where like they meet up again in a church and go for like a romantic stroll in a graveyard. I love that. <laughs> it's so romantic. I do it, though yeah. I did like the line that they say where they're like your whole life is in that dash, huh? That's a good line. That was a good line. The headstone says Anderson. Is that any relation? It's Clifford's great grandfather. 1835, 1892. God. Your whole life's in that dash, isn't it? Yeah. What are you doing? I mean, there are good lines in this movie. Like, I mean, I'm sure George Gallo is a good writer. Like, he wrote other movies that I like and and I think there's something here but then yeah you get these two actors together and it's creepy and awkward and like he tries to like make out with her right and she's like what are you <laughs> and doing it, she pulls away like it's like the second time she's talked to him and 
you know, she clearly knows he's a bank robber. I I, I don't know. It's it's just weird and uh, upsetting. Yeah. But I I think it it could have worked, and it I don't know. Like maybe they should remake this movie. I think it you could think? work. Like with yeah. you know some different actors. Like I would trade Gina Davis for Dana Carvey. You know. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Just get the cast of Quick Change back in there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I I don't know. Like I I think the romance is supposed to propel a lot of it forward, and I just don't think that works. We haven't even talked about what's going on with their mother too, because they right. have <laughs> they have a the, you know the hallmark of '90s comedies, the sassy, foul-mouthed old lady. <laughs> right. Yeah. She gets kidnapped by gangsters, and they have her in the trunk at one point, and then when Nicolas Cage. He decides that he's going to give back the money. He leaves the other two brothers, and he ends up getting picked up. He's hitchhiking by the gangsters with the mom in the trunk. And it's like it's kind of like one of those things where you're just like, okay, this is it's just the sort of movie coincidences. But like these gangsters in particular are are just like so bad. They're so like like there's a scene when we first see them in the jail. All they do is provide exposition. Like, if right. providing exposition <laughs> is a crime, then they would be serving life sentences without parole. <laughs> They'd have a cell next to uh, Christopher Nolan. Yeah, that's right. It's too much. Well, the other, I mean, they're the they're there because one of the guys is Machen Amick's dad, who's the one who told John Lovers right. about this bank he wanted to yeah. rob, and that's why they're they break out and they're going to try to get the money mm-hmm. from them. And it's not even the, all that much money. It's like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which even in nineteen ninety four was not like this crazy huge sum where <laughs> <laughs> you know they're breaking out of jail to try to get it back. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, but you know, talking about like the how the movie could have been better or had elements in it that that could have worked. One of those, like one of the things about this movie that I think really does work is uh of course the great Richard Jenkins yeah. is in it as an FBI agent who's come to the town to try to uh to try to stop these uh robbers. He's so dependable. Like first of all, he looks the same in every damn movie. <laughs> <laughs> he you can't really tell what like age Richard Jenkins is whatever movie he's in cuz he always basically looks the same. But uh, and he he's often playing the same guy, sort of overworked cop or detective or you know some sort of professional who has to like run around a lot and is too old for it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, no, he's great, and and he has some like funny line readings and and just sort of you know low key jokes. He's awesome, big Richard Jenkins yeah. fan. Okay, I, why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back. We'll talk about the end of this movie, and then I have some trivia questions for you. Okay. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, ninety-six percent replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a thirty-night guarantee. Plus, get fifteen percent off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. We're back on rewatchability. We're talking about Trapped in Paradise, the 1994 Nicolas Cage comedy. Let's wrap up the story. It's, you know, it's Christmas. They've got the money. They feel bad about the money. They give the money back, right? Yeah. It's the good thing to do. Yeah, they, they give it to, like, the church, to the to the father there. And um, then on Christmas morning, he finds it, and he tells at Madge and Amick. And then I think uh, Nicolas Cage decides he's going to move to paradise to be with Madge and Amick. And uh, start, a little, start a little thing, even though they don't seem to like each other. <laughs> no, no. Well, also, there's a whole action kind of scene where the mobsters are holding the bank president hostage, and then they come in, and there's a, you know, the FBI shows up, mm-hmm. and it's like a whole big thing. And they basically pin it on the guys who broke out of jail, right? Yeah. And the townspeople sort of like, yeah, rally around the three guys. Yeah. You know. Yeah, Nicholas Cage confesses, but says that they're sorry and they brought the money back. Yeah, 
And like one of the things, I don't even know where this came from, but like one of the things on IMDb, the IMDb trivia was like, one of the themes of the, of the movie is the three wise men. And I was like, I, I guess. I mean, <laughs> it's Christmas and there are three men. But I, I mean, apart from that. I, I think I saw Dana Carvey's character carrying some myrrh, so... Yeah. <laughs> those those presents they brought Jesus weren't presents they stole from Jesus earlier that day. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they were. Now you have the rest of the story. <laughs> oh, shit. That's the wise part, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's a happy ending. Nicolas Cage decides to stay in this town and... And uh, start a life with this woman he's spent easily 45 minutes with. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Not even. But they did walk in the cemetery. That binds the person yeah. to you. That's true. Uh, he casts some kind of vampire spell. Probably. Are you ready for some trivia? I'm as ready as I'll ever be. Okay, cool. Question number one. An actor in this film also appears in one of my favorite Christmas shows, a Christmas special that we've, I think, talked about on the podcast before. Can you name that actor? Ah, uh, I mean, I guess you have to know a little bit about me as well. <laughs> well, I, I know a little bit. Uh, who? A Christmas special that we've talked about. Yeah, I think we talked about it in like kind of a compilation episode or something. So it's like, is it like a, it's like a Christmas episode? Because I remember a long time ago we talked about like the best Christmas specials from TV or something like that. Yeah, it was it was a TV Christmas special from the eighties. One of my favorites. It's one of my son's favorites. We've already watched it this year. Okay, is it, does it have something to do with like the Twilight Zone or something? <laughs> No, no, you're way okay. off. Okay, I, I give up, I give up. I'm just going to tell you, it's Gerard Parks. Okay, right. plays the priest in this movie and is also Doc from Fraggle Rock. Yes. And uh, and he shows up as Doc in the Muppet Family Christmas. Right, okay. So I, yeah. I sort of thought it might be something like that. I remembered him as Doc and mm-hmm. I vaguely remember... I think that's where I mostly recognize him from, to be honest, is the uh, the the Christmas special. Well, coincidentally, I just wrote an article about him because, you know, I have this theory that well, – it's not even a theory, but you know the movie The Boondock Saints? Right. It was it was like a, a thing that people put on, on their dorm room walls <laughs> in the posters they bought and on campus. Well, but, I've, seen, uh, I've seen the documentary about the guy. So, yeah. So uh, – he, yeah, right, yeah, that was a good documentary. But mm-hmm. that guy, that actor, Gerard Parks, is uh, Canadian, right? Uh, I think, and uh, right, he might have been born in Ireland or something, but he lived here in Toronto. So that's where, this is where they shot Fraggle Rock and Muppet Family Christmas, right. and uh, and, and Boondock Saints, and Boondock Saints. So in Boondock Saints, he plays the foul mouthed bartender. But the bartender in Boondock Saints is also named Doc. I saw that. So yeah. you're saying that these are the same character. Like Doc from Fraggle Rock went down the path of alcoholism and then became a foul-mouthed Boondock Saint. Well, once you've met a Fraggle, it changes a person. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, it was funny. I was just talking about him, and, and he showed up in this movie. Okay. Amazing. Uh, question number two. Nicolas Cage and Richard Jenkins appeared together in another movie this year, in oh. 1994. Can you name that movie? You know, I looked at Richard Jenkins' filmography to see if Nicolas Cage and him had done any other movies and I don't know how I missed it. Mm. I will say when I my I haven't seen this since it it came out or when I was a kid, but I remember the lead actress in Nicolas Cage having better chemistry from what I remember. When we you know, we were talking about him having chemistry. Mm-hmm. I almost brought this up, but I didn't want to spoil my trivia question. Ah, uh, hmm. I don't know. I'm just gonna say leaving Las oh. Vegas. No, no, no. It was uh, it was it could happen to you. Okay, it was the like lottery ticket one with right. him and Bridget Fonda. Okay, yeah, I don't yeah. remember that very very much. Yeah, Richard Jenkins was in that. 
Cool. I mean, he's probably awesome. I assume he's the FBI inspector who goes in <laughs> once they've won the lottery to make sure that it's not a fraud or whatever. <laughs> no, he's not. Okay, question number three. Okay, I feel like I've really done poorly. So You have. Actually, you know what? I kind of have four questions because one, okay. one of them isn't very good, so I came up with a fourth. Uh, I'll give you the not very good one okay. uh, first. And that's... There's a musical connection between this movie and last week's movie, L.A. Confidential. Can you name that connection? Oh. Um. No, I can't. No. Is it Jingle oh. Bells? I don't know. No. <laughs> there, was, there was a Christmas scene in that. Uh. No, no. It's uh, – I was looking for Dean Martin. The, this movie okay. ends with a Dean Martin song, and the, there's two Dean Martin songs in LA Confidential. Okay, but this, okay. Is, this is my favorite question. It's okay. the last one here. And I'm excited to ask you this one. I hope I don't get this one wrong. I, I, think, I think you'll get it. Will I still uh, get Christmas presents if I miss this? No. Okay. <laughs> Dana Carvey and John Lovitz, who appear in this movie, almost starred in a different movie that was written by George Gallo. Can you name that movie? It's a, it's a movie that was made, just not with John Lovitz and Dana Carvey in the roles. Oh, man. I'm trying to remember what I saw in George Gallo's filmography. I know there's the Midnight Run universe. <laughs> it's, it's not one of those. It's not one of those. And I also know that he wrote this movie... Wise Guys for Brian De Palma, mm. which I assume Wise Men, Wise Guys, it's like the same. Mm. They're connected, you know? And that has Danny DeVito in it. What else did he do? No, I can't get... I'm I'm, I'm batting zero oh. for four. I'm You're s- almost there. You're so close. Uh, uh. It's a big movie he wrote. I'll give you a big clue. Okay. There was a sequel to it, a threequel, if you will, uh, this year came out in theaters this year 2020 a threequel came out in theaters this year yeah i mean the no i'm no i can't think of anything well i mean there's a good reason why this isn't coming to you and that's because the movie (laughs) nearly starred dana carvey and john lovitz is bad boys oh my god yes oh my god (laughs) Yes, I did see that he has the story by credit on Bad Boys. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess he, like, wrote the original script and it got rewritten quite a bit. So they John were originally, Lo- like, bad, like, bumbling. <laughs> they were and bad they as were, like, one bad, of them had like, a, you know. <laughs> one had an annoying Mickey Rourke voice. <laughs> oh, man, that would have been a totally different history. I mean... First of all, I mean, I think Bad Boys 3 would have been a bigger success if <laughs> they'd gone with the original casting. This Will Smith guy, I don't know. Oh, man. Can you imagine if, like, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence didn't want to do Bad Boys for Life, so they just brought in Dana Carvey and John Lovitz inexplicably with no explanation? That's I, the that, that means the same thing. <laughs> you know, Dana Carvey would probably try to do a bad Will Smith impression, and that would be... Uh, That'd be the end of him. <laughs> yeah. So there you have it. So John Lovitz, in the same interview where he brought up that little tidbit, he did talk a little bit about this movie. He did not have a good experience making this movie. Oh, no? Uh, he he had a, a clever name for the movie. He called it Trapped in Shit. <laughs> <laughs> that is clever. And he, he said he loves Dana, and he had a great time with Nicolas Cage, but he said the director was just uh, – he said he wasn't directing, is what he said. Weird. He said he just kind of like would go up to them and say like, well, just do whatever you want in the, in the scene. And, they, and he <laughs> said, well, that's not directing. Like, <laughs> Can you tell Dana in particular to do something different? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but he said even like Nicolas Cage was like helping them block scenes because uh, cause the director was uh, 
was not there. Who knows? Just one, just one man's uh, opinion, but that was his experience. You know, I should have asked my dad to see if that was his experience. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Did Nicolas Cage direct you? I think that would be <laughs> even a better story than appearing in this movie. Just, you know, yeah, I was directed by Nicolas Cage. You know? Yeah. I, I, you know, I didn't even tell that part of the story in, in that, you know, they tell all the extras, like, you know, don't bother the the stars when right. you're when, when you're all working but he said even so one woman up to went up to nicholas cage who is by far the biggest star and said can i have a picture with you and to his credit he was like oh yeah absolutely and then my dad said john lovett said and i'll take the picture and john lovett <laughs> uh, snapped their photo so oh that's so nice yeah let me see. Yeah, there's not a ton of information about this movie. I did enjoy the Roger Ebert review, uh, <laughs> which he gave it half a star. Mm. He, he recommended audiences looking for this kind of movie to watch The Ref instead, right. which also came out in 1994. Right. And, and that's a good one. We've talked about that one. Yeah, I love that movie. Un- unfortunately, it does have Kevin Spacey in it. But, oh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but it it is a better movie and and one I enjoy and and yeah has a lot of the same plot elements even uh, you know it's about right. a robbery and and the robber can't get out of this quaint town at Christmas time yeah it's funny that they both came out the same year but Roger Ebert ends his review with uh, as for Trapped in Paradise it should be preserved by the Library of Congress as an example of creative desperation. It plays like a documentary about a group of actors forced to perform in a screenplay that contains not one single laugh or moment of wit or flash of intelligence or even reason for being. Oh, man. That's I, – I have to say, like, part of me wants to embrace that cutting view of this movie. But I think that there are funny bits in this movie. And, yeah. like, I think that some of it does work. Like, I was pleasantly surprised – by lots of things. Like, this movie is really good at getting the characters sort of back in the situation, ramping up the sort of awkwardness. Like, yeah, they rob the bank, they something happens and they can barely get away, and then, you know, it screws up, and then they get brought to the bank president's house. I mean, I sort of appreciated that. That was some good, like, comedy stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't think it was that terrible to warrant that kind of and it was a big bomb at the box office it did not do well and i i have seen like some people like i was looking online and some people have mentioned it as like a a christmas movie they watch with their families like yeah. a, a a movie they return to so i think there is something to this movie i i i think the bigger problems with it are not that this is you know, like an abomination that shouldn't have existed. It's more like this was a missed opportunity. Yeah. Like, you had a great cast. You have a good setup. You have uh, a fun premise and a good setting and couldn't quite make it work. It's it's more disappointing than anything. Well, there's so much happening like in the movie. And they even like dedicate whole scenes to like tertiary characters like – the two outfitter owners that are coming yeah. after them. And like they, they even have like whole scenes. There are like whole bits of dialogue that just seem like, why are you letting these people talk? They don't need to <laughs> be in this movie, you know? I mean, barely. at least give my dad a line if you're yeah. going to let those people talk. <laughs> yeah. But on the other hand, I did like a lot of the actors. And it was interesting to see like what other things they've been in. Like the woman who plays the bank president's wife. I don't mm-hmm. know if you recognized her, but she is yeah. the lady from Groundhog Day who owns the uh, bed right. and breakfast. Yeah, I was I was trying to place her because she's so familiar, and she's good. Uh, which is another uh, a kind of like similar movie, and and that it's about a guy who can't get out of this wholesome small yeah. town, who then in the end just decides to live there. Yeah, so, I mean. To his credit, he's known Andy McDowell's character for like a thousand years at that point. Yeah. <laughs> From his yeah. perspective. Another uh, another actor that I recognize and then I found out what he was from is the guy who plays the bank president. Do you know what movie he's probably most famous for? I'm trying to think. Yeah, he's an, just another one of those character actors that I feel like I've seen in a million things. But Well, it's sort of – I mean, it's not a holiday movie, but it does have like a winter theme. Mm-hmm. It's The Thing. Oh, shit. Yeah. He's Kurt Russell. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. No, yeah, of yeah, course, he's... yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then, yeah, you already mentioned Doc from uh, Fraggle Rock. But I, I, these were all, I was just happy to see all these, like, actors and, you know, be able to, like, look at their uh, IMDb and see what they were in. It's they're, they're all really good in this movie. Whoever did the casting was brilliant. Mm-hmm. You know, I, everything else sort of mediocre. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, The Thing, another movie about people in a winter scenario where they <laughs> can't escape. Yeah, do you think that was, like, you know, conscious? You know, they were like, mm. yeah, like, let's get all these, you know, <laughs> build, like, a sense of claustrophobia. And also, you know, in Canada we have this, uh, what's it called, the um, the barrier mentality, the isolation factor. It's mm-hmm. very much like a Canadian theme through all of our cinema, which... I would count this as a piece of Canadian cinema. Sure. <laughs> it was filmed in St. Catharines. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it was kind of filmed all over from what I could tell. Like, yeah, it was Niagara on the Lake was kind of like the main strip. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I think it's Elora, Ontario is where that kind of covered bridge is. It's like the right. only covered bridge around. Yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it was picturesque too. Like, I like the look of it. Yeah, and I, I mean, just as... It feels like our home, like in a way that a lot of American movies don't. And our American listeners might not know this exact feeling, but it feels a little bit more real to see the the street signs that look exactly like your street signs. Or even the cars. Like, I saw so many cars that look like the cars that my parents drove yeah. at that time, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, it, you know, come crappy to th- cars. Come to think of it, talking about The Ref, The Ref was filmed around here, too. Oh, yeah. That's weird. There was something in the air yeah. in Canada in 1994 <laughs> or 1993, whenever they filmed it. Probably in the hot summer months of 1993. Well, no, I think they did actually film it in the winter because that's that's another thing John Lovitz talked about was how miserable he was because they were shooting outside at night in the freezing cold. Right. Uh, I think he said as soon as they like started doing daylight stuff in Toronto, he was a lot happier. But okay, let's wrap this up. Rob, did you think this movie was rewatchable? I don't think so. I, you know, I watched it. I wanted to get into the Christmas spirit. I really wanted to get into the Christmas spirit, but mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't really work, you know. And the elements that I thought would be funny, like Dana Carvey. I mostly found annoying. And even, like, Nicolas Cage is doing, like, a weird accent at points that he sort of drops oh into. Oh, my so God. How have we not talked about the accents yet? I This is what happens when I don't take notes. Because the accents in this movie are crazy. Like, They're so bad. At first I thought it was just Nicolas Cage. But it's everybody. Everybody slips in and out of this accent where they, like, yeah, they drop their R's sometimes in some scenes and then not at all in other scenes. It's crazy. Yeah. It's like, I mean, the one direction that the director gave was, pretend you're from New York. <laughs> For this one part, and then <laughs> not again tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really awful. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and it just comes, it pops up in, like, the weirdest places. But, you know, there are elements that I think I liked. Like, I appreciated some of the Nick Cage moments, like when he screams at John Lovitz. But... I, I don't know. I don't think I would watch this again, even if it came on TV. Maybe if it came on TV. I think I would watch it at least to see your dad's scene. You know, right. I think that's it. What about you, JM? He steals the movie. He steals the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah, I was not into it. I mean, I, I thought the beginning dragged. Uh, it was almost painful to watch. I, I think it picks up once the, you know, the plot kicks in. And, and, and I do like... Yeah, some disparate elements of it, like we talked about, but it just never comes together, and it just feels yeah. like uh, like I'm not surprised to hear that uh, that there there wasn't a cohesive vision behind the scenes because it's it, long too. It's yeah. like an hour and fifty three minutes. It's way too long. So I I mean I enjoy those actors. I don't think they knew what to or were given anything to do with the story. I love Machen Amick. I wish she was in every 90s movie. <laughs> but unfortunately, this was <laughs> this was one of the few like big Hollywood comedies she was in and yeah. uh, and she's wasted here also. So yeah, it's it's a disappointment to be sure. But I mean, yeah, I'll probably watch it again. I'll probably throw it on so 
you know, my dad's grandkids can see him being robbed oh, by, yeah. by the star of uh, High School High. <laughs> you know, that'll be something to talk about. But you know what? This is just the start of the Christmas season because we've yeah. got more holiday movies. We're going to cram the holidays down your goddamn throats this mm-hmm. year. And you're uh, going to like it. Yeah, we're like the Hallmark Channel that way. <laughs> so we'll be back next week with another holiday-themed movie. Until then, you can follow us on Twitter at Rewatchability, Facebook.com slash Rewatchability. Uh, we're on Instagram, right? Is that a thing? Yeah, we uh, are. And uh, as always, if you review the podcast and subscribe on whatever device you listen on, that's always helpful as well. You'll it's, get Christmas presents that way. Yeah, that's the only way. Santa yeah. watches to see who likes and subscribes <laughs> <laughs> on Apple Podcasts. That's Santa true. works for Apple. 